This is Alia. This is Nadia. And this is Adam. And we are going to talk about Sarah Hagazi today. There are times when it when it feels like there's a very like specifically as, as a writer, I feel like I often like my brain functions in a structured fashion where like I want to talk about this and then this and then this and then like like you guys know that I usually before episodes will have like a list of questions and I'll like think very specifically about like this question should precede this question. But like the past, like even how I'm thinking and talking about this is so challenging because so there are just so many disparate things happening and so many and Sarah's death has has made me think about like different who she was and different parts of her life and even talking about her life chronologically or not talking about like Egypt like the last five six seven years in Egyptian queer life and what she has embodied within that and what it means to have lost that through her um what how her death has affected queer people in Egypt, how her death has been received by the wider media in Egyptian society. It's just like I don't know where you start. So I think let's yeah, start let's... with not her death. Let's start with her life and her activism because yeah. like obviously there's a lot to talk about with um the situation in Egypt and how her death is resonating through the community. But also like a lot of these articles that are really getting a bunch of attention like they don't mention who she was or what she did besides the one rainbow flag thing and right. getting or arrested like so prison, i think let's yeah. let's start with before that yeah i read a little bit about her like her political views she really believed in wealth redistribution she was very curious i saw that she completed many certificates for example, Fighting for Equality, 1950 to 2018. Um, another one that was Feminism and Social Justice. I don't know. I just feel like it would be interesting to hear more about her life and like what she was curious about, what she loved, um, anything that you... I mean, I know. first encountered... I mean, I, I know a lot about her now because I've been reading about it for the past week, but I, I first encountered her a few weeks or months after the events that happened. And for anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about, there was the infamous Mashor Leila concert that happened in September 2017 in Cairo, Egypt, where a few people who were attending the Mashor Leila concert raised the rainbow, uh, a rainbow flag and waved it. And that resulted in essentially a witch hunt by the, by the authoritarian current government of Egypt, um, aided by the media, aided by talk shows, aided by the tens of thousands of people that were in this concert who were spreading rumors about like Satan worshippers and degeneracy, whatever the fuck that means, and all kinds of things. And we I mean, know I'm all for degeneracy, but that's not how they were using it. So I just want to uplift that the reason Sarah's death this month or this week has been has been has echoed and reverberated so widely because she she first came into the public eye uh, on a very wide scale through this incident. Um, and I want to before we talk about Sarah, I want to uplift. And this is something that Hamitino said yesterday in the vigil uh, that was made for Sarah at the Brooklyn Museum, which I attended. Uh, I want to uplift the fact that we know about Sarah's death, um, and I'm glad we do, and I'm glad we get to talk about it and celebrate her life for what it was. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of other queer deaths, whether they're like Black trans women in the U.S. or other queer people in the U.S. or queer people in the Middle East. We don't know about because we don't know because they're not reported as such because their family did not want people to know they were queer, uh, and whether that death is 
suicide, which I, I want to, like, I have a lot to say about, like, I what death by suicide yeah, yeah. really means, but whether it's, like, honor killings that are, like, within families, which happen to men and women in, in Arab society, um, specifically through a queer context, like, I don't think this straight men counter honor killings, but you know what I mean. There is a lot of queer deaths that we don't talk about, and I want to, I want to make space for that, uh, to also acknowledge that Sarah and I, I feel, I feel, I've, this is something I've been struggling with in talking about this. I don't want Sarah to just become like a poster figure for something else. Like she's not something to theorize about. But at the same time, it is important to remember that she did embody and symbolize something that is beyond her. And that is that like, which is why like people are talking about this so widely, because it is a reminder and testament to how society treats us in our country. So what I know about Sarah is that even before, um, before she came out as queer, before she came out as secular, which also is like construed as very subversive and causes people a lot of trouble in Egypt. She was very active in a labor party that that centered the rights of essentially a working class and laborers and like worked uh, towards like issues of unionizing. And she she constantly talked about welfare distribution and um, classism within Egyptian society. And as, as time went on, her, her ethos and what she was working towards achieving and her mission came to include gender identity, came to include feminism, came to include queerness, came to include like, and feminism just uh, such a like catch-all phrase, I feel weird saying it, but like that meant like talking about sexual harassment, that meant talking about exploitation and she embodied all that. And that was before December of 2017. So this was a full person who had a beautiful life that was dedicated to others prior to that incident. I, I didn't know her personally, like I said, but like having reading on like Facebook groups and like that are private and hearing from people who did know her on a person on a much closer personal level is that she was somebody who would never say no to somebody who needed any kind of help. And that didn't, I don't mean in like a sense of philanthropy, but like one of the stories I heard is that like she was in jail and there when, when she was first like arrested and she was like, being processed to be imprisoned or be in jail she encountered a man who wasn't being transported with her like through some in some facility and he was being beaten or he needed like some kind of cover for like some kind of injury and she offered like essentially the clothes off her back for that and the man like rejected them because she was queer and he thought that was like dirty or whatever and I'm not like here to like shit on this man because this is very much not the point at this point um this was somebody who was severely indoctrinated and as the vast majority of people are under our authoritarian Orwellian-like government. But, and I like, this is not to absolve people from the bullshit they do, which I will get to later in this episode. But yeah, but this is just an example of the kind of gracious, loving, kind person that she was. People recognize that about her. And I think that's also yeah. what's kind of reverberating. Like sometimes we see people who are like, quote unquote, like inspirations to the community or role models or activists or like the people who are there to help other people in the community and we put them on a pedestal and forget that they're also vulnerable and that they're also human. They could be at risk themselves and this, you know, right. yeah. demonstrates and I mean, that. Y'all, yeah. yeah, I mean, y'all know, like, you know that like we've interviewed people, we've dealt with people who like are like activists in their own right. And then like, we hear like other things about them that are not pleasant or however. Uh, but um, I just truly have not heard one person who actually knew Sarah 
was from the community or without uh, who does not say glowingly positive things about the presence she embodies in the world. So essentially what happened is that this was late September when this when she raised that flag, because that's really what it was. I, I don't want to like make it sound like it was like some huge thing, which is what the media did. Uh, but it was literally just like she raised a fucking flag. And that was like September. And within a few days on my Facebook, which is already so queer. So you would think I wouldn't encounter that. But um, family members, uh, distant assholes I knew from high school, like whatever the fuck everywhere talk shows people were talking about like the danger of like what the queer people and Satan worshipers were going to bring to Egypt and within a few days when I and yeah, I'm sure anybody who listens to this podcast with any level of consistency knows like I've talked about crackdowns in Egypt uh, that have like continued to escalate most importantly after 2017 and when I say that I'm referring to like the crackdown that happened after that concert uh, which is that um, hundreds of queer people some who were not even in that concert started finding people knocking on their doors, knocking on their parents' doors, outing them to their parents, being looked for. Uh, I have I have a friend who who was lucky enough to have been here in New York on a, as a, on a visa, uh, on like a tourist visa, on like a, he was just here for a trip. He was here for vacation during that time, and like he was also lucky enough that he was already out to his parents and he had accepting parents, and um, and like somebody knocked on his parents door in Alexandria which is like he wasn't in the concert he was in fucking New York and he like never went back to Egypt because he knew that like if he went back he wouldn't pass through the airport but essentially Ahmed Ala, Sarah Gazi and a third person whose name I don't remember I feel bad for not knowing their name are the three people that were blamed for raising the flag even though there were other people who had flags by the way but these were the three people that the government decided to use as a scapegoat and they were they were arrested they were taken from their homes I, I can't speak for the other two people, but I know that Sarah has written extensively uh, on Mother Masru, which is like literally the only publication in Egypt that is not controlled by the government or like government leaning about like the encounters she has had in, in prison from electrocution to physical. I mean, I, I'm going to say this now, Alia, please put some kind of trigger warning on the beginning of this episode for like everything, basically. But um yeah, electrocutions, um, sexual assault of varying degrees, electrocution, beating, deprivation of all sorts, solitary confinement. And so, um, and after uh, some of the people from our community and beyond, the international human rights world like aggressively tried to get these people out. And eventually, they were, three months later, they were able to get out on bail. And within uh, however many, I, I don't know how long they were in Egypt after that. But very soon they were all out of the country to seek like different kinds of asylum or refugee processes. And Sarah found herself in Canada eventually for these three years. So she was never really fully processed or like she'd never gained immigrant status. And she was like in the process in limbo of like, we know how bureaucracies work for all of that time. And and yeah, and and after and during that time she was vilified, social media continued to vilify this case and this week at the age of 30 and and her her mother passed away from cancer just after she left for Canada she could not come back to commemorate her mother's death and at the age of 30 this week she wrote a one-page note saying she couldn't cope anymore apologizing to her community and saying that like the world is cruel but she forgets in Arabic that translates to I actually want to read the, the, the whole piece I will pull it up. And she read it. 
and and she took her own life and and that has been like I want to say it was four or five days ago now and these days have been incredibly challenging to the people who knew her who were closer to the different kinds of social media that have circulated um I just want to say and again this I don't know what you call this it's for a trigger warning but like I don't know absurd levels of cruelty maybe but the vast majority of the Egyptian population has said you should not even honor her death or pray for her mercy or pray for her because she was queer because she was secular and she was an atheist um I don't know what else to say and the amount of horrific just the amount of horrific abuse that um queer people have encountered in the past few weeks and I will dig more into that and some of that will be in Egypt specifically and some of that will be about like how to take care of yourself during this difficult time in terms of like how you deal with the world but also how you yourself like um cope internally but can yeah. we talk about uh, queer grief yes i mean that is actually one of the things i was going to pull up so our i'm going to talk about a lot uh, so i've i've pulled together like 10 or 10 different posts that i've come across in the past week um that have felt really meaningful that i will some of them are in arabic so i'm not going to read them but i'm going to try and like paraphrase and translate like bits of them and half of them are written by Tarek Salama, by the way, who we interviewed two weeks ago. See how good I am at live translating. That used to be a skill I have. So Sarah passed away on late night uh, on June 13th. So it has been four days now. Wow, it feels so much longer. And I do want to say that the queer, our queer communities uh, in the Egyptian diaspora and like across Arab diasporas have actively rallied to celebrate Sarah's life despite all of this hate. So Sarah has received multiple vigils in New York. She's received vigils in California. She's received vigils in uh, Toronto, where where I believe is where she was when she passed, in, in London, in Berlin, in Lebanon. In Lebanon, they did, they did their vigil outside the Egyptian embassy to, you know, be like, hey, fuck you, we're here. Uh, no Egyptian official has made an official statement. But anyway, I'm going to, and this post that I woke up to on June 14th is how I found out that she killed herself. Um, and Tariq wrote this post. It's fully in Arabic. It is not the one about queer grief. I will get to the one on queer grief. Uh, but this post says, as much as I understand and respect the right of our friends to depart this life if they choose to do so, but I'm sorry, and this, again, like I'm live translating as I read, so if the grammar is messy, I'm sorry. But I'm sorry, this subject of mental illness and depression and leaving this world being a choice is not sufficient. Give our friends, families that accept them, a community that does not actively want them dead, a country that is not locking them up because they just raised a flag and said they were queer. And after that, let's talk about the million lives that one with a heart and soul and beauty of Sarah could have lived if all of that had not happened. The suicides of young men and women within queer communities is not just an expression of the battle with depression, but also a decision to end their path in life. More importantly from all of that, suicide is violence that the, that the state and the media of this country um, and the culture of this country and the progressive men of this country are in charge of. This country kills our children who are different 
and people can see and hear that, but they are pretending that they cannot see or hear. For years, we have been saying our friends are dying. Your words are killing us. Your prisons are ruining our lives and our friends. Not only that, even after they leave this land and the state, it can still kill us. Sarah left Egypt two years ago, but the, her trauma of Egypt, but the trauma of Egypt did not leave her for one second. Violence is not just beating and torture. Hate speech is violence. Silence is violence. Being complicit or like being witness to something and not saying anything about it is violence. Killing is not just actively taking Sarah's life. Killing is to make Sarah feel that she has no right to live because the country and the society are telling her that. Her, uh, consistent abuse does not only have to be physical. The PTSD of violence stays in, our, in Sarah's bones as it stays in the bones of many other queer men, women, and people. Sarah chooses to leave, and that is a choice we must respect. But that choice itself does not necessarily deny that she could have had more chances if, she, if, people had, if the state had not decided that she was a national threat. Remember Sarah, but remember that our heads will be held high because we knew Sarah and that and because we lived side by side with Sarah Hagazi. Remember that we are not cheap and that our lives are not cheap and that your lives as queer people are valuable, whether you like it or not. Sorry, I, had, I was like translating on the spot, so it probably wasn't as poetic as it was in Arabic. Um, and then Tarek's other post about queer grief. It was actually like the first time I ever met Tarek. We talked about queer grief and it was, I think it was like one of these moments where I was like, I'm going to know this person for life because of how, and, and, and unfortunately when he, mentioned it to me at the time, it was in, and again, to circle back about the fact that we're here to commemorate Sarah, but Sarah is not the only one. He first said these words to me in June of 2016, and sorry, 2018. And this was nine months after this incident happened. And, and he said to me these words because he revealed to me in that first time we met that another one of his friends who was not even at the concert, but who had seen the backlash in the media to the concert took his own life as well. Um, and, and again, like even like the backlash that has happened in Egyptian society as a result of the, uh, as a result of this moment right now has had an immense effect on how queer youth are experiencing this moment today. And so even the backlash to stars killing, and I'm not just gonna call it a suicide, I'm gonna for the rest of this episode, I'm gonna be calling it stars killing. Um, it's going to lead to more killings because of how violent our rhetoric, our Egyptian society's rhetoric is. So Tariq's words in this other post that he wrote 24 hours later, or, or actually about 10 hours later, were queer grief. Queer people can't always grieve their friends and loved ones publicly because of fearing homophobic violence. When we grieve our friends and partners, we don't only grieve their beautiful selves, we also grieve all the beautiful lives they could have still lived in a supportive environment and a kind work and a kind world, sorry. And and it's it's that it's like like I you living in Egyptian society, like you don't you can't even explain where you know your friends or if your friends were not out to their families, like when they die, like you can't show up at the funeral and it's just like it's almost like the world, even after 
telling you that you're worthless by your friend dying and nobody valuing that, telling you again that your intimacy was worthless because you can't even like, you can't even grieve them in the ritual that like society had designed to do that in. And then Nadia also shared an article with me, which was actually written years ago. And not all of the article is pertinent to, um, not all of the article is pertinent to this moment, but there is one like paragraph from it that if, if you would like to read it, Nadia, I feel like I'm talking a lot. Uh, I don't have it pulled up. So if you have it pulled up, go for it. I have it pulled up. Uh, um, I can give I... some context. Um, this is by um, Kareem Nadir who was my classmate at Columbia, and it was in response to a suicide by another queer Arab student in our class during our senior year. I just put it in the chat if you would like to read it. Yeah. Why do queer Arab people die? We die because our lives are a series of traumas. Every time we come out, there is one heartbeat that makes our souls shake, one moment when we are so vulnerable, one instant when we do not know if our lives are at risk. The police in our countries do not protect queer people, but criminalize them. Rejection can mean the end of us. So, uh, just, I guess, the response, the response to Sarah's death just reminded me of this moment also and had me go back and look at this again. Um, it's, it's a beautiful article, by the way. I really appreciate, like, both in this article and what you were saying about, like, not, not that it's not suicide, but not strictly referring to it as suicide. Um, because sometimes when we talk about suicide in such an isolated, like, mental health-only framework, it just leaves out so much of reality, which it's it's part of the reality, right? But um, mm. there was this, like, meme or saying going around after, I, I honestly don't remember um, which, like, famous celebrity suicide that was, like, depression or mental health doesn't discriminate, which is... No, that is so untrue in this world. Like, first of all, like in in this case, we're talking about literally the effects of torture and PTSD and what that does to someone. Like that, yeah, that 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 is clear results of discrimination. And also, just looking at mental health in the absence of social conditions and in the absence of like ongoing social violence. Like that, that just doesn't make sense like mental health doesn't exist in a vacuum and it does discriminate i i pulled up the, the note that she wrote before taking her life um and it says to my sibling i tried to save myself and failed forgive me to my friend this experience was difficult or rough i and i'm too weak to resist it forgive me to the world you have been cruel to a great extent, but I forgive. Can you read it in Arabic? Okay. إلى إخوتي حاولت حاولت النجاة وفشلت سامحوني إلى أصدقائي التجربة قاسية وأنا أضعف من أن أقاومها سامحوني إلى العالم كنت قاسياً إلى حد عظيم ولكني أسامح. The reaction has not all been negative there have been some leftist organizations that have celebrated her there have there have been some people who have tried to start a conversation about police brutality in as much conversation as you can start under an orwellian regime of course which is often like always on encoded terms or so on yeah basim yusuf basim yusuf made like a 15 minute video yeah, I saw um that. which which was in arabic which is which is what's needed frankly uh and and Basim Yusuf, because of like the the context, he how do I put it? 
because of like um, his positionality in like Egyptian culture specifically, like his audience is predominantly like people from every subset of Egyptian society who like watched his show. Um, and so like the average person watching him is likely very homophobic. Um, and obviously like, I mean, I, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast, but I've worked with Basim before. I know that he's like a lovely human being. Um, and so when he made this video, it just felt like incredibly meaningful. And it was a 15 minute video explaining why like, even if within your religion, this is what you believe is right. Like this is not how society should function, whether to pray for somebody or not, should not be a question. The idea that like somebody's unworthy of prayer, even after they've taken their own lives is horrific. And, and like, frankly, like the thing that I've been struggling with the most is this idea of the, the complete lack of accountability in terms of no one, well, not no one, like I think queer people who are in the diaspora, queer people who are secular, queer people generally are talking, are talking about police brutality. I'm not, sorry, I don't. I didn't even mean to say in the diaspora or secular. I, I will. I'm gonna like take that back and say, queer people. Period. Are talking about like how the suicide is um, very much a, a direct result of active queer violence and persecution. So, um, but the larger society, the conversation has been about like should you say Allah Hamha, which is basically like rest in peace or not? Like that's been the whole fucking conversation, whether we should say RIP to Sarah Hagazi, because apparently like over 90% of the population thinks that no, she's even undeserving of just saying these two words um, because she's queer. So, so yeah. So, so the fact that like people are not taking a moment, like, and honestly, can I just like, I'm going to, I'm going to go on my anger yeah. moment now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Sarah identified as very secular, uh, from from what I've heard, from what people have said. I I'm I also identify as very secular. So the whole point is like whether you're going to say RIP or not. Like I don't give a fuck if you're going to say RIP or not. Maybe like instead of making that the public debate, maybe make the debate about like should our um, prison systems be torturing people and sexually assaulting people and electrocuting people and imprisoning people for raising flags uh and may- maybe that should be the conversation not whether you're going to say r.i.p or not because like who gives a fuck about your r.i.p to be honest um, just don't say something terrible which frankly or do something terrible it's not just about saying oh yeah no, no, no. Yeah. i mean i just mean in terms of like the comments right like you know yeah yeah like the first thing of like I'm sorry, I was about to like reiterate some comments, but I actually won't. Like, let's just say that the comments have been sexually violent, the comments have been, I mean, homophobic is a given, (laughs) but the level of homophobic and the level of graphic violence and level of aggression against um, homophobia, and not just from people who are like in their, like, okay, I'm going to say more contentious shit. I, if I get hate mail after this, like, please be my guest. Like, when people who are like, older say shit like that i'm like you know what i'm glad you're gonna be dead in 30 years like that's truly how i feel um but when i see shit like this coming from people who are 18 that's when i that's when my heart breaks to be honest so honestly like i first i first like found out about this through like either like individual people who were connected to her or like very like progressive queer friendly news outlets which were like clearly celebrating her And then it was, Mm -hmm. like, such a shift, like, then when, like, the more mainstream articles came out about this. Me too. Like, then going through that comment section, and it was like, oh, okay, 
shit, this mm-hmm. is that that is such a different yeah. picture. And honestly, I haven't um, I haven't really looked at like now like CNN and like American news outlets yeah. are picking up on it, and I haven't I almost kind of intentionally avoided it because I didn't want to just like spend my energy getting upset at CNN or what you American like commenters were saying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, actually, like, I'm notorious for like shitting on the New York Times, like on a daily basis, but yeah. the New York Times obituary was actually beautiful. Okay, good. Um, it did somewhat decenter Sarah and like it talked about Sarah for a little bit, but also talked about like what it, what it, what this means for LGBTQ life in places like Egypt. Um, but it was beautiful. And, um, and I want to, um, I have a couple more things that I want to say. Do you want to talk about like new crackdowns and safety issues? Well, actually, I'm, I will get to that. But before that, I want to say that like, um, so much of the conversation, and I think like, we are all complicit in this, not not the three of us, but like everybody, the conversation is always about um, queer and like, I'm so grateful, for example, for when we had Kevin a few weeks ago or a few months ago, I don't know how long it was. And he was like, no, like immigration is not always the answer. Like sometimes there are other ways to live happy and fulfilled lives. Um, and that's sometimes true. And sometimes immigration is the answer. Like, it, it, like from a very personal experience, like it, it truly has been. Um, but this, um, I think like- It's not Sarah's, a panacea. Like, yeah, you, you, you'll just immigrate yeah. and everything goes away. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Sarah's death, like I, Sarah, Sarah's death, like indicates that um, this idea of like I came to America and now my life is like gorgeous and perfect is like Orientalist and troubling, but also it's bullshit. Um, um, and obviously she was in Canada, but like you know what I mean. North <laughs> um, America, uh, the greater yeah. American continent. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like for example, somebody in the vigil yesterday knew Sarah, who was also like a queer woman who is Syrian, uh, knew Sarah personally, and she mentioned that um, that Sarah did not have access to mental health support when she was in Canada, despite Canada having a better healthcare system than we have here. And that is because she, her refugee status essentially prevented her from getting on many types of health insurance. And like, even after her death, like the processing of her funeral rites and like, um, I don't know, whatever, like body rituals, that was like very much like slowed down because of her status as a refugee. And so like, yeah, and it's, it's just important to acknowledge and remember that this is not just a conversation about um, like the big bad Middle East. For in case we have any Orientalists listening. Yeah. Um, hey there. <laughs> Welcome. Yeah. Welcome to, to the podcast. I mean, I imagine you're not halfway, half an hour into this episode if you are that. Um, that's dedication. And, yeah. And in terms of crackdowns, yes, that's the other thing I was going to say, which is actually going to bring us back to crackdowns. Um, so we had another panel. I mean, as if you follow us on social media, you know that like I'm Nadia and I are currently working on the Criminal Queerness Festival. And we had a panel about like trans and transnational activism and something that Amal Khoury, who who has been interviewed on our podcast and who's just like an all around incredible human being said was that like progress happens. Um, and I, I, I refuse to believe that progress doesn't happen. And these are growing pains. Uh, I want to believe that these are growing pains uh, because I think like, like I mentioned, like this is not the first queer person in the Middle East to take their lives. Um, the difference is that we are now talking about it and we're talking about why this happens and what are the repercussions and meanings of it. And um, 
and society's having a reckoning. And I'm, I'm having like, and I like, I've been very vocally active about grief, frankly, online. And I've had so many Egyptian straight friends who, are, who I know are allies and like lovely human beings reach out to me and say like, what can I do? And I'm like, talk to your fucking parents, talk to your fucking um, cousins who are 10, uh, talk to, I don't know, your aunt who's like 30 and you think could change her mind. If she won't change her mind and like have a rainbow flag in her house, maybe she could at least like think we deserve to be said rest in peace to. And so, and so these are growing pains uh, and the more, and, and what has happened is that like, you do have this like small part of the population, whatever, I'm not gonna like turn this into a sociology session, but I'll say maybe like five to 10% who are either like supportive of Sarah and homosexuality or like not, um, but regardless, like they want to honor this person's life or talk about this person as somebody who was taken from us. And the fact of whether they've said RIP or whether they've raised rainbow flags on their Facebook profiles or whatever it was, has also caused for this other 80 to 90% of the population to like become incredibly violent and aggressive. And what that has looked like is crackdowns from the police or from like some branch of the state. I don't fucking know how the state works at this point in Egypt, but it's like, I, I like I've received the day I like put up a rainbow filter on my profile, I received like over a hundred friend requests which is very confusing like I'm, I'm not that popular I, I, I want to believe I'm popular but I'm not that popular and so like at the first like five I was like oh okay cool and they also all had like these filters and then as it like came to 100 I like start asking what the fuck is going on and a bunch of people were like careful don't add anybody you don't know they're going through your profile they're like a bunch of them text me and are like asking me if I'm gay like I think how they're trying to frame it is like they think like they're kind of trying to treat Facebook like a dating app like they think I'm going to respond and then like tell them I'm gay because I'm like interested in them and then like they're going to trap me but like I very early on caught onto it and like deleted everybody I added and so uh, I believe that we've used the Queer Apps podcast platform to also share a few resources on how to engage with digital security more carefully especially if you are in Egypt but also in other places like individually yesterday we had somebody from uh was it Morocco yes it's Morocco talk about how um someone um she had like somebody that she knew uh killed themselves someone who was 16 killed themselves two weeks ago in Morocco because of the incidents that happened and I'm sure like people who follow like queer news in the Middle East know about the incident where a trans woman essentially told women to go on Grindr and like go hunt for the gay men in their lives, whatever the fuck that was about. The person was very confusing, but regardless, it was like, it was a catfish thing to out people and destroy a lot of people's lives. I'm still like fucking confused by that whole debacle. Apparently like she was well-meaning. I don't know how the fuck you're well-meaning and you tell people to do that, but whatever. Um, The the point is like, the, 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 the point is like, People died then too. And of course we didn't know that. And even yesterday in the vigil, we asked this person to name the person who was killed. Um, and again, I used who was killed here very intentionally. And she was like, she said that that was private, which is of course understandable. But my point is like, we are at a time in society where like, I, the level of acceptance, if you look at the numbers, the level of acceptance for LGBT people is actually increasing. Uh, and these, um, and that's what causes this backlash. This backlash exists in like family members being violent, it exists in like the state casually deciding to sanction crackdowns. Like we had one in 2017, we had one in September of last year in 2019 in Cairo, and we're having one now. So again, like if you're in Cairo, really be careful. But there is this backlash. 
but it's going to get better in the very long run. It's not going to get better tomorrow or next year, but it is going, but this is, these are, I, I want to believe that these are all metrics of like things that are going to get better in the long run. And so, so yeah, so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna leave it at that. I don't know what else I have to say. Rest in peace, Sarah Hagazi. If you are having like some kind of ideations, please know that like people are here for you and it does get better. And, and like, I don't know, I feel like I want to offer resources or something, but I don't really actually, actually know what to say. So I'm just going to like stop here. Rest in peace. Rest in power.